Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney Magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. Are you looking to plan and book an upcoming Disney vacation? Contact the Tierra Talk Show's official travel agent, James from Destinations in Florida, by visiting destinationsinflorida.com backslash tiara for a free quote. The link is also included in the show notes on our website. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, former Disney animator David Brooksma to the show. Welcome, David. Hey, good to hear from you. We were just talking off air how it's been three years since we talked on my last podcast, and I think that's pretty crazy, but we're coming closer to the Atlantis The Lost Empire 15th anniversary, and I really wanted to have you on my new show, so I'm so glad we could talk today. It's a pleasure to be here. And so I first wanted to start out with some of your beginnings as an animator. What really inspired you to go into this field and also work with the Disney company and other companies to create such wonderful masterpieces with animation. Well, I'll tell you, it started when I was very, very young. Uh, I, I remember the first time specifically stating that I wanted to be an animator when they showed Alice in Wonderland on the Wonderful World of Color in 1964. Uh, I remember turning to my, we went down to my neighbor's house to see it in color. And uh, I turned to my mom at some point during the Mad Tea Party sequence and said, that's what I want to do. And, of course, they were patronizing and said, oh, of course, of course. But it never really left. I, I started making little films with Super 8 cameras and uh, always was drawing and always was watching, you know, animation on television, whether it be Hanna-Barbera or Disney. Um, and, uh, you know, my interest just continued to grow over the years. And, uh, you know, I just kept doing it. And uh, then I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and studied art and film. Uh, and then from there, uh, they said, really, where you need to be is California. So I packed up and uh, moved to the West Coast and did two years at California Institute of the Arts, Cal Arts, until Disney contacted me and said they were interested in having me come over um, uh, to work on uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol and uh, uh, The Black Cauldron at that time. And uh, I never really thought I'd work for Disney. It wasn't really, you know, a, a forefront in my mind, but it, it kind of worked out. And I ended up spending the next 20 years there. I think that's simply amazing. And around that time when you're first coming in, there was another project, which I did not know this. You worked on Buzzy, the character from Cranium Command. And Buzzy's so adorable. He's an animated character. And then he, and then you go into the attraction. If, pe- if listeners have not seen it before, it's called uh, Cranium Command. And you could see the video online. But Buzzy starts out as an animated character and then goes into the three-dimensional character when you're in this theater and inside the human head. So working on Buzzy, were you actually 
in Florida in the fishbowl at the Magic Vet Disney Animation Pavilion working on this project? No, the animation was actually done in California uh, in a warehouse that ended up being Airway, uh, which is a which ends up where we did uh, Beauty and the Beast. But uh, it was just basically a warehouse where they took some of us off of Rescuers Down Under, uh, a handful of us, and asked us to come over and work on the short. We didn't do a lot of shorts at that time. Uh, I think they were doing some of the Roger Rabbit shorts and some featurettes. They asked us to do this, and um, Rob Minkoff was the original director on that, and he asked me to be supervising animator on Buzzy. So um, I was very happy. That was my first opportunity to be a supervising animator. Uh, And uh, I came on when it was pretty well developed. Um, And then they pulled Rob off to do a short in Florida, uh, Roger Rabbit short. I think it might have been Roller Coaster Rabbit. Um, and they brought in Kirk and Gary as their first stint as directors. And that's really where I got to know them and, and, and really love working with them. Um, and that continued later on with me getting cast on Mrs. Potts and eventually other characters they had in their other films, uh, Victor and Hugo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, and finally Packard in Atlantis. For those who have not seen Atlantis, please pause this interview. Go watch it. You need you need to see it. It's a 2001 animated film that I feel does not get as much recognition as it should. And there's a character named Packard, and she is um she's pretty old. She's up there, but she's in charge of the communications of the Atlantis troop. She is is quite a different Disney character. I don't think we've ever seen anyone like her. And the last one to actually smoke too. I should put point that out. And, and she she's not really a, a moving character character of all sorts you know was that a little bit easier to animate on your end actually doing nothing in animation is harder to animate than anything else because you have to keep the character alive uh through expression and whatnot without doing a lot of uh heavy movement uh uh, action animation is probably some of the easiest animation to do uh but subtle very subtle uh restrained animation it, it can be very difficult it was quite a switch for me because i was always sort of cast on the cutesy poo motherly warm you know parental kind of characters like the sultan and aladdin etc uh but then to get this character that was crusty and and uh and obnoxious and uh smoking and whatnot it was really quite a departure for me it was it was a lot a lot of fun uh, to break away and do a different kind of role. And you got to meet Florence Stanley, who voices the character of Packard, correct? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. She, we, we usually <laughs> go to the recording sessions, especially early on, to kind of get a feel for what they feel the characters are and what we feel the characters are, and it creates a blend uh, so that we're all on the same page. I mean, I went to some of the recording sessions, and I loved what she was doing, so it was really, it was really great. You know, right from the start, she seemed to get the character and get the personality uh, and it made it, you know, easier for me to interpret that even further in the animation. Uh, but yeah, she's she's. There's nothing like having a great voice in animation. Uh, you know, doing pantomime animation is really very difficult because you don't have the voice to springboard off of. Uh, and it it made it a lot of fun to actually take those sort of acerbic uh, little jabs and 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 then not push it, not push that animation, you know, not make her move a lot. Everything comes out of her, her disdainful expressions. You're right now a professor of animation at the Laguna College of Art and Design, and it seems like your students love Packard as much as I do, uh, and they like to play pranks on you a little bit sometimes? 
Oh, yes, all the time. They're always doing stuff. They'll take uh, a, an image of Packard off the internet and alter it and you know, put her nose upside down or her, her mouth upside down or something like that. They're always, they're always playing little pranks on me. And of course, you know, the, 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 the battle cry is we're all going to die when, people, when things get stressful, uh, which is kind of comic relief in a way. Yeah, that's right. That's her <laughs> catchphrase, of course. And she, yes. I think she probably has the best lines in the film. Shh, don't tell anybody else I said that to you. Uh, but <laughs> I think she really does have the best lines in the film and I love the post Disney Renaissance films and I saw that you worked on The Emperor's New Groove but it didn't really credit you as a, a for a specific character what exactly did you work on for that film Well interestingly enough uh I, I took a leave of not a leave of absence but I, I went into training for a while at the studio uh, after The Hunchback of Notre Dame, it was a very difficult film for me to do. I, I came on late on the production and did the entire film in about eight months. And I did, I think I touched every single scene of the Gargoyles, uh, Victor and Hugo, because I was a supervising animator and I had to draw over things for cleanup to make sure the characters looked consistent. Um, but after that, I took a, a brief break and I did some training, which was good, you know, for my later career as, as an instructor. Uh, I was noted as being one of the best uh, trainers at the studio, according to Peter Schneider and those in power at the time. They wanted me to be there, as they said, their Eric Larson, which was flattering. Uh, but I really wanted to get back into animation. So they were developing Kingdom in the Sun, and they had a, a large group of llamas that they wanted. They wanted me to do the, the main llama, which was uh, Snowball. Uh, the prima donna llamas. But then later on, they had me anim- uh, design the other uh, seven llamas in, in the herd. Uh, and each one had to be different, had to have a different personality, very much like the dwarfs. Now, that ended up not happening, and it ended up being shelved. And uh, fortunately, Don was the executive producer on that film, and he saw that I was going to be coming available. And so I moved right over onto Packard, which is the character I would have handpicked to do on uh, Atlantis. And so I went right on to Atlantis. And then they they retooled um, Emperor's New Groove, and I wasn't available for that. So uh, some of my design work ended up influencing uh, the film uh, Emperor's New Groove, uh, particularly on um, the main character as a llama. Of course, every animator makes it their own, and they design it, redesign, and and add little uh, uh, personal personal traits uh, in the film. Then I went on to do Atlantis, and I I, I think it was a good move for me. Uh, on Atlantis, I was cast on Packard, and also on Harcourt, who is only really appears at the beginning of the film. Also, David Ogden Stiers did the voice, and he's a veteran of Disney voiceover. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like I said, it's always fun to have a great voice to animate, too. He is so talented. And, and you worked on Beating the Beast, too, which is another project he worked on as Cogsworth. So you're yes. working on Mrs. Potts and Chip at the same time? Yes. Uh, Chip wow. was developed late in the film, actually. He was uh, a character that was kind of a throwaway gag as one of her ch- one of her cups was chipped. And uh, it was a son of hers that was named Chip. Uh, but... The original, the early animation on the character and the voice that they cast, uh, Bradley Pierce, uh, ended up charming people to the point where they they took one character out and replaced that character with Chip. Um, And so I had to do a lot of the animation of Chip again in the last few months of production. Mrs. Potts is, is a wonderful character as well and voiced by Angela Lansbury. So when you're going in to watch her read for the role, what are you? What type of mannerisms are you looking for to include in Mrs. Potts' traits? Because she is an inanimate object, not really a human. Well, there, there were a lot of challenges. It's just challenges on every character. You have to kind of uh, overcome them and, and find ways, uh, imaginative and creative ways of, of um, animating them. 
Um, in the case of Potts, of course, she was just a head. She really didn't have any body or any arms or legs. So I had to find ways around that when those things were needed. But as far as Angela goes, you know, I knew she was cast as the voice when I was cast on, on the, um, the character. Uh, and uh, they recorded the Be Our Guest song first. Um, and so I was animating on that. And then I got through a number of scenes in that. And then we got together with Angela in the recording studio. Uh, when she was coming in to do some more work and uh, showed her the animation and we went over the storyboards together and basically she and I both talked a lot about our influences for the character and who we thought the character was uh, and we were pretty much in agreement about which way we should go with it. Uh, I think she said that it was helpful for her to see the animation because then she could see how that was interpreted her performance was interpreted uh, in the animation and it made her later performances even better um, which gave me of course more to work with. Uh, as far as mannerisms go, people say, oh, she looks just like Angela Lansbury, when in actuality, she looks nothing like Angela Lansbury. She acts like Angela Lansbury. She has those little quick head movements and, you know, tilting the head a lot and whatnot, which I got a lot of from watching Angela's performances on all her films over the years. She has a very staccato way of talking, and, and she uses a lot of little head knobs, nods and head bobs and head tilts, which worked perfectly with a character that's basically a head on a pedestal. So... Um, it was very helpful to have that uh, reference. But yeah, you know, one thing you can say about those post-Renaissance films is, you know, despite how people may feel about them one way or the other, they all are, are all superbly animated by a crack crew of people. That machine was unstoppable uh, at that time. And, you know, they could throw anything in front of us and we could, we could bring it to life. Uh, and that was the result of all those films that came before that. I just love seeing the behind-the-scenes featurettes to some of the films, including there's one of Hunchback in Notre Dame, and uh, Jason Alexander comes over to your table because you're animating uh, yeah. some of the gargoyles. <laughs> what was that like to film with Jason? <laughs> it was very, very difficult. Uh, Jason's a superb actor, you know, all those years on Seinfeld and all the other things that he's done, including Broadway. And... Uh, I'm not an actor. Well, I am an actor. I'm an actor with a pencil. But, you know, when I get in front of the camera, I get very nervous. And to have someone else's words to say was very difficult for me. So he had to do this big, long intro. And then he'd turn to me and I'd say, that's right, Jason, blah, 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 blah. And I could not say the words the way they were written. And so finally, after the fourth or fifth take, I, I apologized to Jason. I said, look, I'm really sorry. He says, that's okay. If they made me sit down and animate, I couldn't do it. So I said, well, is it all right? I asked the director, is it all right if I just say the same thing in my own words? And they said, of course. So we did another take, and I did it in one take. So uh, that made it a little easier for me. It's, it's just to be able to say someone else's words in your voice and do so with a natural uh, cadence is very difficult. And I, I'm always amazed that actors are able to do that. Did you get but, a chance? Oh, oh I'm sorry. I was just going to say a funny story about Packard. Uh, I recently was doing some work over at uh, Heritage Auctions uh, in Beverly Hills. And uh, uh, I had some uh, images of Packard and uh, they brought them back in the back. And one of the younger uh, girls said, oh, my God, Packard. Uh, you know, Atlantis, I, I'm just amazed at that film. And, you know, she's a big fan like you are. And, and she was going through the drawings 
the Xeroxes that I had done uh, and, and saying, you know, it's like, oh, I'll this, you know, and she was doing the voice, you know, it's like, we're all going to die or I sleep in the, in the raw or, and all, all of those kinds of uh, lines, which I thought was really funny. And then, uh, you know, he brought her in and introduced her to me and, and she was so happy, you know, to be able to say how much she enjoyed the character. Uh, and that made me feel good too, because it's always nice to know that your work is appreciated. So uh, that was kind of a funny little uh, circumstance that happened at Heritage Auctions. Wow, what are the chances? Like, I know, really? it, was really, it was really very <laughs> odd. <laughs> that, that, well, that's cool. I think that's uh, amazing. So yeah. what, what type of drawings did, were you showing her? Were they just from the actual film or just things that you sketched for yourself? They were, they were Xeroxes of model sheets and whatnot that we were going over. Uh, you know, sometimes they asked me to, to authenticate things and, and whatnot. And so, you know, sometimes I go over there. But uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just really fun to see that she loved the, uh, the show so much. Well, I want to make sure I open the opportunity for you to discuss any new projects you're working on, because I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about those. Well, let's see. Uh, as far as what I'm doing, I really enjoy teaching. Almost as big a thrill as animating for me. I really love working at Laguna College of Art and Design. I think we've developed a really, really crack uh, animation program there, uh, and our enrollment just keeps to get, grow larger and larger as, as word gets out that we're doing something right. Pixar picks from our people, and you know th they think that we're doing things the right way in that we train not just technology, but actual acting, performance, hand-drawn, design, all of those things. We give them a foundation of actually being thinking artists first. And then we start adding in the technology so that they are well-balanced um, uh, thinkers and leaders in the future uh, of animation. Well, I have to thank you so much for coming on the show, David. It's, but I want to ask you uh, three Disney questions. I always ask my guests. I call them the Fab Three. Okay. Um, so we'll start with the <laughs> Donald question, which is, when you were younger, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see on the big screen? Uh, without a doubt, Peter Pan. I just love that film. I still think it's probably one of the best they ever did. It has everything. It has great songs. It has great characters. Uh, it, it, it tells the story really well, and it tells it in a way that only animation can tell it. Um, it's got great characters, great character animation, beautiful art direction. I mean, to me, it's just, for, for me, for my taste, it's, it's the perfect film. Now, you ask a different animator, you're going to get a completely different response uh, on a completely different film. But I bet they'll have the same uh, critique of it. But our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? And we'll exclude any of the characters that you have animated. Well, I would say probably Goofy. I, I really love the Goofy shorts that were done, particularly the ones by Kenny in the 50s and the late 40s. Uh, they're just such wonderful films, uh, so funny that, you know, they, they stand up with the Tex Avery's and the... Uh, and the MGM films of that time, you know, they're, they're of an era, uh, but they're just so much fun to watch still. Uh, and I just think since I'm a little goofy, I think that Goofy would be a very good friend. And our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Uh, well, I have to say with a smile and a song, uh, which is from Snow White, uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, uh, and it's one of my favorites. Uh, there's also, you know, there's a couple of others that are sort of lesser favorites. They're, it's funny because they're all ones that aren't really big songs. Uh, uh, my Mother from Peter Pan is, is a really, uh, Your Mother and Mine, I think it's called, is a really great song as, as well. 
I love that one too. Nobody's mentioned either of them, so there you go. Kudos to you, David, and uh, and and I have to say, happy fifteenth anniversary to Atlantis. I I hope we can possibly celebrate with a Packard cake <laughs> that says we're all gonna die. <laughs> yeah, a Packard cake would probably do that. Too. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. gonna die.